Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Hey friends, if you are looking for ad-free Sense of Soul episodes, you can find them at Sense of Soul Patreon. Become a monthly member at any level. You will also have access to our monthly SOS Sacred Circles, our mini-series, merch, and much more. And it's a great way to help support our podcast so that we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes twice a week with our enlightened guests from all around the world. Check out our Patreon. Happy holidays. Today on Sense of Soul, we have Colin Holland. He is a writer, mentor, speaker, alchemy trainer, adventurer, and the podcast host of Alchemy Lab. Colin was the publisher of the global bestseller, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And he is the writer of an Amazon number one bestseller, The Secret of the Alchemist, which Colin has been on Sense of Soul to talk about before a little over a year ago. Also joining Colum is Dean Wilkinson. He's a significant influencer and the founder of a nonprofit organization called Epic Work, where he helps those discover the heart set and mindset that drive success, achieve high performance at work and in life, and connecting purpose and meaning to the work you do every day. Together, they are joining us to share their experience of how they came to be a part of this most extraordinary book called The True Origins of Jesus, The Myth Behind the Man by the late Jeff Roberts, who I'm sure is super proud of these two men for the release of his book. This should be a very exciting conversation. Thank you both for joining us today. Hey, ladies. You look like you're cozy like us. It's freezing and snowing here. Yeah, it is here too. Yeah. So Dean, where do you live? I am in a little town outside of Chicago called Sandwich. It's Illinois. Sandwich? Yeah, sandwich. (laughs) Are they known for their sandwiches? Not at all. Not even a little bit. They're known for their state fair. I mean, it's it's crazy. Well, awesome. We're here in Colorado, and today's nice and Christmassy outside and snowing, so. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I've moved away many times, and I keep coming back. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember the time that we had Colin on, and you showed us um, outside of your house. And it was like like a fairy tale. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. I want to see that one day. Yeah, oh. old England. Okay. <laughs> Literally like something out of like a fairy tale book. Mm-hmm. It might put Colorado on the number two list for you. Well. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. It's such an honor and a pleasure. And I think I've read most of the book. I've been working on this mini series. I've been diving into the Gnostic Gospels. I was on my episode about Jesus, actually. I got stuck after reading the book. It kind of validated some of the things that I was saying. So because one of the very first books that I read along my journey was this one by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it was uh, very impactful to me. So Colin, have you ever read any of Thich Nhat Hanh? No, I haven't. I've heard of him, but I haven't read him. Good book. It's on my list. You've just put him on my list. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. Because he, you know what, he said, "Um, I have lots of friends that are Christians. I want to know who this Jesus is. And he reads the Bible from, you know, his own perspective. And then in the end, he's like, oh, my God, he's a Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. So yeah, I would love to start with who Jeff Roberts is. If you guys could tell us a little bit about him, you know, I picked up that he was a photographer, a columnist, a, he was in England. He worked in regional press for decades and studied Christianity for many, many years. What else can you add that you know about the author, Jeff Roberts? Yeah, Jeff passed away, sadly, about 10 years ago. And what I'd like to do is introduce him by way of my connection, how I was connected and how I decided this book should be republished. He wrote this book over 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever, and uh, he self-published it and it didn't really reach, you know, very few people discovered it. And then one of the people in the book who, one of the experts, one of the scholars in the book, I knew, and he introduced me to the book and said, if you want to know more about what what I do, and um, his name is Professor Christian Lindner, he um, translates Sanskrit into, uh, well, he was translating it into Danish, but he also translates it into English. And Jeff Roberts discovered Christian Lindner, and they became really good friends. And it was when Jeff contacted Christian and said, look, he said, there's plenty of theological books. There's plenty of really heavy, dense stuff that, you know, you need to go to university and study ancient theology to really understand this stuff. He said, I'm, I'm writing a book that anybody can read and say the same thing, only in a way that can be digested by anybody. And he said, I'd like to include your stuff about the Sanskrit. The Sanskrit that Christian Lindner discovered was that there were passages in the ancient Sanskrit that he was translating, which predated the Gospels and the New Testament by at least two or three hundred years. But when he translated them, he recognized them. He recognized the, the pentameter of the verse. He recognized some of the names. And he wasn't a Christian theologian of it by any means. He was a Indian Sanskrit translator. And he went away and studied Greek and came back. So this piece in the New Testament is identical, not just the stories identical, but the rhythm and the names of Martha and Lazarus and Peter and Galilee and, and so on. It's all the same. And he said, because I wasn't a you know, New Testament scholar, he said, I spent three, four years trying to compare and see how many comparisons there were. So Jeff said, look, I can I put this in my book? And that's how I got to know the book. So with uh, Jeff's family's permission, we're, we published this again. And I did some editorial work on it. And, and Dean wrote a fabulous forward, which really shows the relevance of the book for anyone, really. But Jeff was an ordinary guy who believed that whether you like it or not, if you live in Western civilization, which we all do, then you've encountered Christianity, whether you like it or not. It's infiltrated and it's you know, permeated every aspect of the way the way we think, not just our culture, whether we're an atheist, whether we're an agnostic, whether we're a Buddhist, whatever, it makes no difference. It's We've absorbed it. And one of those things that we've absorbed is that Jesus was a real person. That's somehow, you know, until you start questioning, he was assumes that you assume that Jesus was a real guy. In other words, once upon a time, 2,000 years ago in Israel, and because thousands and thousands and thousands of people go there on pilgrimage, I'm sure people listening to this have been, some of them have been on pilgrimage there, and you go to the tomb of Jesus and you go to Bethlehem. Well, if you can't actually get to Bethlehem at the moment, but if you could get to Bethlehem, you know, this is the stable where he was born and so on. In other words, historical 
fact and just said, I want to question that. I really want to find out if that's true, because if it's not true, then how did this whole thing called Christianity come about? What was the original, not just the one origin, but what were the various origins that led to this whole concept of Jesus and Christianity? So that's really what his book does. And take your hat off to Jeff for a non-theologian, non-academic, but a really great journalist, and obviously somebody who could write really well. He's, it's a fabulous read. I don't know about you, Shana, but most you know, people can read it in a single sitting if you if you so want to. A friend of mine rang me today and said, I'm sat outside my boy's school in my car in the freezing cold and I'm reading The True Origins <laughs> of Jesus. She said, I can't put it down. I do think that it can be ingested by anybody. And that's what I liked about it. And that's what I was trying to do with my mini series, because, of course, if you pick up the Pista Sophia, you might rack your brain against the wall <laughs> and be like, what the heck? But one of the things that I discovered right away and I caught, called Mandy was like, oh, my God, I didn't know Jesus was like this. He's so wise. This is like some Zen master shit. <laughs> and that was the feeling I was getting from the Gnostic Jesus. It was very poetic. The allegories were very deep, deep for anybody's inner journey, which is not something that you found in the New Testament. So I found like there was a different Jesus. Yeah. Well, the Jesus of the New Testament is a good place to start. I mean, I'm, let's not you know, beat about the bush here. If it wasn't for Christianity, the chances of us being sat here talking about Jesus had that not happened, even though there were aspects of Jesus that predated Christianity, which is one of the great revelations of Jeff's book, is that guess what? The Christians didn't invent Jesus. Even if he wasn't a, a real person who was born in Bethlehem, um, even if he's mythical, they didn't invent him. There were these other guys who did never really call themselves Christians, but they had a Jesus too. And Sean, as you said, these were the Gnostics. You know, and I'm, I'm not sure how many of your listeners will know who who the Gnostics are, but we'll let them Google that. We'll let you, we'll let you do your own <laughs> reading because we haven't got time to go into that. But in other words, there were multiple, not just one group, but there were multiple groups predating the time the Gospels were written, and around the time the Gospels were written, who had a Jesus in their mythology, in their belief system. But it was a very different Jesus to the one that we read about in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until nearly 200 years after uh, the supposed birth of, of Jesus uh, in, common, in the Common Era that the church leaders of Christianity said, you know, we've really got to decide on a single version of this. So mm. let's have let's have a big meeting. Let's have a council meeting and let's get rid of let's throw out the bits that you know, don't suit yeah. us. Yeah. And let's invent the you know, let's stick to the bits that we think do suit us. And let's call those divine inspired writings. In other words, we're going to keep as the New Testament, even though there were you know, twice, three times as many more, many of which have been discovered in recent times, the Dead Sea Scrolls and so on. Let, let's throw those out. Let's just keep this stuff. And then we'll decide that this, the reason we're keeping this is because we think God inspired the writing of this, but he didn't really, well, he, he was half asleep when he inspired the other stuff because it didn't, it didn't quite fit. But I think the reason that that Dean and I, if I may just lead this for a moment in a, in a slight direction for your listeners, is that Dean and I were both moved 
by this book because Dean and I share something in common. We've both come from a relatively Bible-believing Christian background. Me and mine very, very much younger days. It's too many years to even remember, recall now. And one of the things that Dean and I felt and why this book was so important to be republished under this title was that it's so easy to feel completely disenfranchised from a reality of Jesus that is a spiritual, personal, transformative reality. It's very difficult to still hold on to that when the church is saying, well, if you want to be Christian and you want to be part of the church, then we need you to believe that there really was a virgin birth and there really was a death on the cross and there really was a resurrection and there really is a hell and there really is a heaven. And so these are all prerequisites before that you can experience Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily so in my experience. Dean, I don't know if you want to speak to that as well. Well, it's the idea... There's a simple idea that Christ is has been around before even the story of Jesus, before they decided to, to match that up. And I think it was at the Council of Nicaea. The fact that Jesus literally has to be believed in is sort of what the demigration away from the church, the millions that have left every year as information has become more and more accessible is part of it, but most of those guys are confused. And so they drop any any hope of a Christ-like power, a transformative power to impact their lives, to get them free. You know, it, I went after this in a practical aspect because of coming out of the church and being a church leader. I wanted to see what I could do to help people experience freedom because that's what I experienced once I realized I started getting some some downloads or some other messages, you know, almost audible type things about God doesn't care about what you've been taught. He cares about it does he or she cares about. And it started blowing up my world and there was no one around to talk about it. But as I was digging into the Greek of what is actually in the Bible and what Jesus's story was, I saw that Jesus was a badass. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher. And being able to accept a a different version is the transformation experience. Being able to look at the Bible with different eyes, just like you're doing, Shanna, and and, and that I've been fascinated with what you sent over. I mean, I've I've been trying to listen, 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 and I think I'm on the sixth or seventh show. It's once you dig in, you start to look at it with different eyes, that thing starts to come alive. There's some wisdom in there. And there is a path to transformation. And that's the part that I think we're missing in the West. I just want to say that I was shocked in reading this book because I was so focused on Sophia. Mandy asked me a few weeks ago, where's Jesus in all this? Which was a very good point. But where Jesus was, was in my conditions. And I didn't have to focus so much on him. But now I'm seeing that maybe Jesus is just like Sophia. How so? They are both part of that infathomable. They are both in spirit. And so here I was finding this hidden feminine wisdom of God, focusing on that and finding that within me. But I felt like I didn't have to worry about Jesus so much because I knew about his story. Now I'm like, of course, it makes so much sense. They're the same. Just one is masculine, one is feminine. 
it's just the aspects of God. Yes. I went down another rabbit hole. When I found out about these scene, I could not get enough about them, you know? So it was funny because those books were the ones that kept reaching out to me. So I'm over here reading about the Essene and Shanna's over there reading about the Pista Sophia and that kind of um, blew my mind open. I feel like I could go out on the streets right now and ask a million people who the Essene were and none of them would probably know. Oh, I thought they were a rock group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Jesus was the lead singer. Um, <laughs> Dean, how did you get the position of writing this forward for this book? So a friend of ours introduced Colin and me into Calm's alchemy in, in that area. And at the time, I'm, I'm exploring everything. Because once I start to see that maybe my worldview is, you know, not exactly right. You know, the synchronicity started happening. Next thing you know, I'm on a journey by myself in an RV and I'm exploring everything from the mystery schools to which is to what is real. And, you know, when he did the circle, he came back to me and talked about, you've got a big Christ spirit on you. And so we started talking about where is that coming from? And once I told him the story about how Jesus was a hero to me, once I started seeing there was more to this than what the church was teaching, I couldn't let go of this powerful figure that was able to not just do the miracles, but no matter what we thought of him, he influenced our collective subconscious and sometimes conscious in a way that we haven't, it hasn't been matched in the West. And so as I was digging into that and realizing, hey, there are so many ways to look at what is magic, what is happening in the world and what is happening inside of me and inside of others that I was speaking with. And then the love that I saw demonstrated from people outside of the church searching for, let's call it, and I'm going to put it in quotes, truth was so much more pervasive than what I saw in the church. And so we hooked up on, along those lines and, you know, shared a few stories. And then when that book came up, he said, this isn't for me, but you might want this. <laughs> right. That, wow. was, that was how it was. I don't know if you know the backstory to Sense of Soul, but that's actually why Shannon and I started the Sense of Soul podcast because our minds had, you know, I had a near death experience and she had a lot of death in her life one year. And then we were diagnosed with all of these weird physical symptoms and we started going down rabbit holes. And then we, it was like one thing left to another. And we started questioning everything that we'd been told to believe. And then thank God her and I had each other. Like we, we feel bad for people like you who are just you and your RV by yourself because, you know, our listeners are so grateful that they're not out there alone feeling like they're crazy. <laughs> I, I would have to say that I still do sometimes, but, you know, especially going down the Sophia thing, because it's so hard for people to grab onto a concept that they've never, ever had an idea of. And I have to say that I related so much with Jeff. You know, he was on the same journey as I was speaking that my last episode, I just got done recording. It's about how the word of God was so the age of Pisces. Jesus was the word. And Sophia was known as the first thought. And one thing that was kicked out of everything was any kind of thought, right? That anything that had to do with thought, anything that had to do with choice 
which is the word heresy. And so now, especially even for women, there is a root of this. There is a history of thought and us, you know, seeking gnosis, right? This is our brains were actually meant to do. (laughs) Along the lines of like you mentioned, you know, thought and Jesus was the word. I recently discovered the, you know, logos is that Greek word translated. It had the idea of an idea. It's really an idea. And when you think about Jeff's book and Jesus, did he exist or not? Jesus, the idea. The bit that I really like, especially about where Jeff takes this, where he started and where he takes this, the thinking through all the way from the Gnostics, all the way through to astrology. You mentioned the age of Pisces going through into the age of Aquarius. I mean, I love, I don't know if you've got to that bit yet, Shana, um, where he exposes how um, a lot of the the language and a lot of the symbolism within the, the New Testament is driven by that acknowledgement by astrologers. Yes. Um, and even the appearance of the three wise men um, coming um, out of the ancient tradition of Zaranustha, um, who were also very you know deep into astrology, and then into numerology and how even the structure of the words and the names and the letters, you know, influenced by the, the sacred numbers in, in ancient tradition. The thing that I love about where he leads it is that he says in the end, you know, it's it's going to be up to you guys reading this and thinking this, for you to decide who Jesus is for you today. It's not for somebody to tell you who Jesus In other words, there's no... Um, there's no pope in in, a, in the broadest sense anymore um, who has the right, if if you like, to to dictate. You know, this is what a Christian is, and this is what a Christian should believe. But we become our own pope. We become our our own um, imprimatur on what what we believe. And on that score, for me personally, that's what took me down the road of Carl Gustav Jung and. Young's philosophy, because for me and my devotion to alchemy, which was also Carl Jung's devotion as well, for me, that's one of the myths. If we're talking about the power of myth, that's one of the myths that kind of completes the jigsaw puzzle of where Christianity kind of started me off. So Christianity gave me lots of pieces and I tried to put those together in my life and found there were bits missing. But when I discovered Carl Jung, and I understand what he meant by the self and how the self and Jesus, are, in his understanding, are synonymous in the psyche, um, that really was a huge uh, breakthrough for me. But that's for me. It's not like I've now invented or I've now signed up to a new religion. <laughs> this What we're talking about here and what Jeff is exposing here is that Carl Jung explained this really well, is that all of our myths, all of our ancient myths and all of our modern myths, like Star Wars, for example, or The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho, which I talked about in, you know, in our last, the last time you interviewed me. I mean, th- these are all myths. And Carl Jung said, you know, they influence us. They actually enable us to make a bit of sense, a bit of structure out of this chaotic thing, which is our unconscious self. And the job of our lifetime, according to Jung, was to, if you like, 
at the self-realization of the unconscious. In other words, it's our job from the moment we're born to the moment we pass in a way to try and make sense of what's going on in our own psyche in a way that makes us feel whole and makes us feel as though we have a sense of being, a sense of purpose in our life. And that's been the power of myths since time eternal, since the beginning. In column, you know, we had on a rabbi who had told us, we always knew these were allegories. They weren't meant to be taken literal, but yet people have. They're deep allegories. So allegory and myth, the same in many ways, right? Absolutely. You know, Carl Jung went even further and he said that actually a story, a myth and legend um, are the, the psyche's way of making sense of the feelings and the urges and particularly the need for God, which obsessed him and absorbed him in many of his studies and writings. He said, if there's one thing that all humans have in common is this sense of the need for a greater power, the need for God. And the way we've tried to explain that down through the, the millennia is through story and myth. So the Greek myths, the Roman gods, the Egyptian gods, uh, the rise of alchemy, and eventually the place of Christianity within that whole mass of, of different myths are all, in the end, trying to pursue the same thing. It's the psyche's way, as Dean said, collectively of trying to make sense of life, of why we're here. What is, what is this actually all about? What shocked Carl Jung, I think, was the commonality and the similarity between multiple myths all around the globe. So what is that? I mean, he came up with this answer. He called it the collective unconscious. If we're talking about Judaism and maybe Sigmund Freud, I mean, he, he said, that's a, a load of nonsense. You know, don't believe in that at all, not for a minute. I believe in a, a personal unconscious, no problem with that. But you know, what's this thing that Jung's going on about this collective unconscious? But we've got to admit that one of the reasons why the Jesus story in particular, seems to work so well and seems to have such power over the human psyche is the fact that it takes all the best bits. It takes the bits that tackle the main archetypes, as Carl Jung, the main motifs that come out of the collective unconscious, the need for the hero, the need for the sacrificial hero, the need for the wounded healer, um, the need for the sun god, the need for to understand death and resurrection, uh, the need to understand rebirth, all of those things that Carl Jung would say that we share all of that in common, that, that goes without saying. But we've just discovered through different myths and then through different religions, ways of dealing with that and creating a framework in which to talk about those things. And in the end, of course, Jung said, ultimately, and this is why I think certainly you know, Dean and I won't let go of, the, of Jesus, is because he said that ultimately the psyche wants to transform. It's always looking forward. We are always looking forward to the better, to the next thing, the, the thing that makes us feel more whole, whatever that is. And the, and the psyche's way of joining up the dots of this sort of muddle, if you like, that exists between the conscious self and the unconscious self. And that's a lifelong journey. 
And for some reason, the guys who did, whoever they were, who did put the Gospels together, you know, you've got to take your hat off to them. They did a pretty sound job of pulling some really good bits together. Otherwise, we just wouldn't have the church today, I don't think. And how about you, Dean? What does Jesus mean to you today? And did you go through a stage like Shanna and I, where we had to grieve like our old religion? We went through like all of the anger. We went through the sadness. Like, what did that look like for you? Yes. So that message that I got was God doesn't care. I said, well, that can't be true. That just, there's no way. And then followed by, we'll go check. So I started digging in the Bible and, you know, it became an obsession. And as I was sitting inside the church, pieces were disintegrating. And next thing you know, I'm looking around, people loved what I was talking about, but it didn't sink in. It didn't come in to them. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. So yeah, that's cool. But at the end of the day, when I left church and that position, they weren't around. There was no one else. Like you guys mentioned earlier, you had each other. And I was angry, you know, as I started sitting in meditation and started realizing all the times Jesus went off to pray, he was probably meditating, right? And then started aligning the cultural references and then the Greek words as it was slowly coming together. It was hard, right? Because there were so many things I was latching onto. And it's one of the things that I was a little bit angsty about with this book. People don't give up. Right? Don't give up on the transformative power, the transformative promise that your churches teach, because it's there. It's just not in church, usually, because there is doctrine and dogma that you have got to follow, depending on the brand of church. It was very disconcerting. And, you know, multiple times on this journey where I just threw up my hand and said, it doesn't matter, I'll just be an atheist. And then that really set me down into depression. Like when I decided I'm not going to believe in anything, that lasted about six months. And actually, I could have yeah. quit after six hours because I didn't like it, right? It was it was this crazy thing. I just stopped the search. But then I picked it back up again. And Is it a, because of the synchronicities that you mentioned? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, that's kind of like what happened to me. I was so mad. I'm like, 2,000 years, you know, I'm so mad. You know? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm getting all these divine synchronicities and messages and dreams. And I'm like, Wait there. If I never believed before, I believe more now in this journey. So that's what I think is the miracle in it. Because I went from thinking, has everything I've been taught a lie, you know, and then finding this deeper story of God within myself, right? And that light within. Well, see, and that was Jesus's printed message. But yeah. it's I fell in love with the Beatitudes. And because I saw, you know, the first two or three really aligned to my life at the time, but I didn't really get it. I didn't have the time to really start digging in there. But if you think about it, the first beatitude is blessed. That means the happiest you can be as a human being. And that's, that's what I want to be, right? So the happiest you can be as a human being is to be poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is that place of transformation is the place of power is the place of being awakened to what is. But poor in spirit has multiple connotations, but one of them is, I don't know everything about God. I don't know what he is, or she is, or it is. Mm -hmm. That's poor in spirit. And I think that when we are almost, it feels like a disintegration. And when we are screaming out at God, 
and that force and that idea. It's almost that's poor in spirit as you can get. You know, Eugene Peterson in the message version of that verse says, blessed are those at the end of the rope, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's very powerful. And we all know what that place is like. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Some of the fascinating things about this book and about what you guys have discovered, as I have too, is similarities, like you said. I mean, like how many virgin births do we have? I mean, quite a few. Right. You know, and starting from when? So what are some of the oldest similarities in this book? It's Egyptian, isn't it? Yeah, that era, certainly. So Osiris, the Egyptians believed that the sun god, which was Ra, um, every night he he died, he had to die. And he would go down you know, beneath the earth and he would have to go through all the sorts of trials He'd have to fight off this and he would have to rediscover that. And then in the morning, he would be reborn yet again. And that was the sun. As the sun came up, he was he was being reborn. And that most scholars, I think, Dean would say that that was the beginnings of the sun god. And that is the beginning, um, certainly from Carl Jung's point of view. Those were the earliest days where, for some reason, and they call it sort of the vegetative gods. In other words, the origin of the need for God had to just simply to do with the need to grow crops, to provide food, to eat as a species. That was the number one need. So the instinct and the, the psyche began to form legends and mythology and the Egyptians with their Ra God and so on. That all came together around that time. But that evolved. So this evolved in the psyche. And so as each generation got born and adopted the mythology of the one before, it elaborated on it. And then it split and then it split again. And then even other pockets of, of species, that, of our species that w- weren't in any connection with the others, because it's in the psyche, they would formulate their own. I mean, for me, one some of the favourite mythologies are the Australian First Nationals, used to be called Aboriginals. You know, these First Nation people, in, in Australia, they've been there for 70, 80,000 years, completely devoid of any contact with anybody else. And yet within their mythology, they've still got these transformative rites. They've still got this sense of needing to move towards wholeness. So that's what we all share in that. But the going forward as well, thinking about where where does all this go? And thinking about the age of Aquarius as well. I think what's happening, and I know you guys have talked about this before, but what's happening, this expose, if you like, of the origins of Christianity, the origins of the Jesus of Christianity, is enabling us to see our place within the universe in a much bigger and broader and more powerful way than I think we ever have before. We are not just the guardians, as the Bible would like us to believe. We're not just the guardians of of creation. We are part of creation. And one of the the great challenges, I think, going forward for us as a species is that we are creators. We are God in that sense. We have a responsibility to create what is going to happen in the future, and that it's not some other power out there somewhere who maybe is going to fix it or make it right or it is written somewhere that you know it's going to happen 
it's you, it's me, it's us. We're it. <laughs> and that's a bit scary, you know. That's why another reason why this is also important is because to, to truly understand our creator place within the universe and with, within the great scheme of things, in, in our short little time that we have, in our lifetime, um, but you know, as passing it on to the generations to come, you know, it, it's a big responsibility. And so I wear that. And this is one of the reasons I wanted this book published again and why I did my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, is because I wear that responsibility quite, you know, really seriously. Again, to quote Carl Jung, you know, he said, one of the greatest uh, responsibilities that we have in life is to show up. You need yeah. to show up, guys. Come on, you know, show up and put yourself out there, you know, and seeing Dean and his his work and what you guys do, you know, I'm humbled, immensely humbled, because you're out there and you're you're saying, you know, I want to contribute. I want to you know, do whatever is whatever I can do to, to move, to make change happen, to move things forward, even if mm -hmm. it's just a little nudge. You know, I'm just a little ant who's yeah. nudging this little twig a couple of millimeters in one direction. That's great. You know, do it because it all is going to add up. Love that. Do you guys, as you, you know, were in. You, in the mystery schools, I think I saw a reference to and started to learn that. Was there any place there that you started to realize the power of the of a creator? Was there any special moment of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had some pretty amazing moments. It's like now that you have this, now that this has been revealed to you, which it actually is a scripture in the Gnostic Gospels, it's like, once this truth is revealed to you, you know, you'll doubt everything you ever knew. So, but now that it is revealed, what do you do with it? And the thing is, is there's so much power behind it. And this is one of the reasons why I think perhaps it's been hidden for so long, because like Jesus said, those who have ears, let them hear, but not everyone has ears for this. And I do understand that. And that other scripture, and then it was in Thomas, like, you know, what you discover, like bring it forth, right? And that will save you. It will save you. The power behind, you know, the gnosis is something that will actually save you. And if you don't, it could destroy you. And that's what we've been doing. So I look at that, all of the hiding and the ignorance really to the truth or maybe not even wanting to know it that's where we've lost our power yeah. and so regaining it so i think it's a reclamation it's a reclaiming of the true power that is within each of us and wow what will happen well and i also feel like it's divine timing these younger generations are very much more open-minded the fact that you guys grabbed onto this book and put it out there now i have a feeling it's going to be huge my son i asked him to print off all this information on you guys and he came downstairs like oh my god mom i need to read this book this is everything <laughs> that i've always thought and believed <laughs> yeah. yeah he asked me about 15 years ago i'm actually his godmother <laughs> Okay. He sat down with me and by the end of the, our conversation, he had me doubt and everything. He said, and just want to know, Shanna, where's Joseph? Was he like the first deadbeat dad or what? And I was, <laughs> Perfect. I was like, dude, you're so right. <laughs> well, that's my hope, right? Is that we can simplify this, get it sort of chip away at all the confusion, give some clarity to, hey, even in, hidden inside all the doctrine and dogma, 
there's power in there, but you've got to strip it all away. Yes. And you know what? I was a little concerned about this episode and it's just my own fear because, you know, we've got Texas as these big listeners, you know, we're going to probably lose Fort Worth after this. <laughs> no, but you know, it, it's a hard topic to talk to people about, you know, so many people have been instilled with fear and then on top of it, you know, they twist it like, oh, that's the devil disguising himself, trying to get you to believe this. So I love that Jeff, you know, went out and did his own research and then broke it down so that just the average person could digest this and take it in. How crazy that no one was ready for it when he did release it. Yes. Right. There would have been accepted. Right. And now there is that possibility of it being accepted. But the possibility also of embracing the mysteriousness of the Jesus figure in line with embracing the Christ that has been around way before, right? It might have been called the spirit in the Bible or in Christianity, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think as I look around, it's definitely a hope, but I think it's possible that we don't and we reestablish a sense of spirituality. And don't throw the mama out either. Yeah, don't throw her out either. That's the craziness, right? It's like the power that's there. My dad, you you know, he was old tough guy, right? Tough guy mechanic. And so you should have been born a girl. And, you know, (laughs) for a while that messed with me. And then when I started to discover all this, I'm like, okay, maybe next time I will be, or maybe I have before. So that's right. (laughs) You you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about Carl Jung, because I'm big on the 12 steps. I'm in recovery. You know, Carl Jung had a little bit to do with, you know, he met with Bill and Bob and he has a little bit to do with these 12 steps. And one of the things you hear in AA is what you were talking about earlier, just show up, just show up. And there's nothing in those rooms that tells you to believe in a certain God. You know, it's just believing in a higher power of some sort. And I love that you guys are bringing this message across so softly. You're not like, Jesus is a mythical figure. And, you know, it was all crap. And you guys, <laughs> you're not saying just to dump Jesus to the side and, you know, not have that faith anymore. And I love that message that you guys touched on in the forward and throughout the book. So I, you yeah. know, I always tell my mom, my mom is Catholic. We have long conversations. I have been able to explain Sophia to her throughout all of this. I, I, it might be difficult for me to explain all this about Jesus to her, but I'm going to try <laughs> a lot to ask. However, you know what? It's just, we have to shift the language a little bit, right? To where mm-hmm. meet people where they are today, which is exactly, I think what source does. They meet us where we're, I mean, the synchronicity that I was receiving is not academic <laughs> by any means, but this is how I received it. Really quick question. Is there any sort of evidence um, or, you know, research that he did that just blew your mind where you were like, wow, I like one particular thing? Mine was the Pauline scriptures that that was written so much before the gospels and that Paul never met Jesus. And, you know, definitely he met Christ. And if you, when I looked at that and then went and looked Mm -hmm. at some of the scriptures that Paul wrote, I was like, oh, he was probably talking about something totally different. Christ, that's more of a spirit. Yes. It's more of the spirit. Not his last name. (laughs) How about you, Colm? Yeah. As I mentioned right at the beginning, the Sanskrit translation work hundreds of years before the gospels. I always knew there was Buddhism in the gospels particularly in the Beatitudes, but where it had come from, that kind of was the final piece of a jigsaw puzzle for me. So, yeah, 
that yeah. was it for me. You know, it seems to me that the other thing that's attractive about this book is it's like saving people years of research. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you know how hard it was to get to that, you know, 10 years ago, it's even harder now, which by the way, I would like to reach out to you guys because you guys have got some sources I want. If we wouldn't have had this next interview, I would have been talking to you guys probably all night. So awesome. <laughs> I just appreciate, I mean, the work that you've done, Colm, I mean, I actually reference even The Alchemist in my miniseries because to me, it's very similar. You know, all of those things are all doing the same thing. Just like you said at the beginning, they're all ways to help us find our Jesus, right? It's a personal thing. And I think that that's where we're going in the future is a personal religion more than uh, the dogma. What, what is the myth that I am living well, you want to know what really blows my mind, and I'm going to have to journal about it, is that, you know, my near-death experience, I saw what I believed to be Jesus when I was, you know, in my coma. Um, his back was to me. I, I do believe that if I were to die again today, my idea of what I, my experiences would probably evolve. You know, that's what got me thinking. Like, I saw Jesus in, in my near-death experience. So clearly, he's definitely part of my spirit today. And just because I've been told some lies, that doesn't mean I need to turn my back on that. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. Believe what you want, then live like it's true. Love is the answer awesome thanks so much for coming on throw out where everyone can get the book amazon is a good place to start the okay. true origins of jesus yeah it'd be really ironic but we could stick it in people's christmas stockings <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> i love these oh don't throw don't throw the baby don't throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, who wrote the song personal jesus personal jesus you know, always Well, that was Jesus and the Essenes, wasn't it? <laughs> well, happy holidays, you guys. Thank you yeah, so much for joining us. Always Thank a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.